The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. I know we often say very special guest, but today, very special guest. We have indeed. <laughs> Let me ask you a question before we we, we announce it. Okay. So, have you ever had something signed mm. by somebody, and like a record or a book or something? I have. And, uh, you know, Aerosmith signed the um, the. It was a Frisian. No, this is probably not very. I wouldn't get away with it now. Loving okay. an elevator. No, no. It was a, a Frisian. Um, it, it was the. Well, it looked like a Frisian covered CD case, which they all signed. Ah, oh, nice. Oh, and Captain Sensible. <laughs> signed something for me uh, years ago. He said, uh, 1,000 aliens um, bit my bum last night, but they still couldn't get my last can of Kestrel. Something really weird. But that's, that, you know, that's what you expect from a punk rocker. Right. Yes. Quite. Yeah. Whereas Aerosmith, on the other hand, were very sensible. Slightly different, yeah. Okay. So, uh, mm-hmm. well, I have my original X100 signed by a certain uh, Masazumi Imai, who was the chief designer, or original designer, I should say, of the X100. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, no way. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and what did he sign it? With with um, uh, pen or was it? With a blue pen. Yeah. A Sharpie. Blue pen, a Sharpie? Yeah. Oh, blimey. You uh, had to really protect that. Thing. I have, so yeah. It doesn't come off. It's the only camera that I look after. <laughs> yeah, I bet that has dividers. So, uh, Massa, uh, Massa-san, uh, yeah. he, he doesn't do very many interviews. No, none. Uh, yeah, very few. And so I, 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 I pinged him an email. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, because it's the 10th anniversary of this beautiful thing that you've, you've helped create, would you consider having a bit of an interview with us? And uh, he's very, very polite mm. and said yes. So today we have Masazumi Imai, who is the uh, one of the head designers of the Fujifilm camera range, primarily the X100, on the show. I'm very, 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 very proud and very excited. And he signed my camera. The Fujicast. So, yes, welcome to um, a brand new week, a brand new show. Um, and... Uh, if you'd like to email in with your questions, that's what we'll have. Uh, click at fujicast.co.uk. Sometimes I get lost. We'll get Kev's talking about such amazing things at the start. I'm thinking, where do I start now with the intro? Yes, let's start again. Welcome to the Fujicast. Uh, you and your questions that you've sent into the show uh, at either click at fujicast.co.uk or, of course, through the Facebook group. Um, those questions, by the way, are flowing in nicely. But do not forget, if you are a Facebook um, group member, I think it's about... I think it's about, sorry, that was me banging the microphone. I think there's about 1,500 members now. There are 1,500, 1,600 members now. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Yeah. Then uh, that's a great way. There's a post at the top that's always pinned there that you can join in with. And, uh, of course, uh, for our uh, patrons, then um, you get a chance to be bumped to the front with some of your questions as well. Um, right. Well, we, we should dig into the questions straight away, I think. I'll have to perfect that intro, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you need to get better. I'll work on it. Pack show, as you heard, though. And uh, we also have the brain that is Carl Hare, Fujifilm product specialist, and our new feature, Hail to the Chief Engineer. And Andrew Hall, Fujifilm ambassador from Australia, is back for his second concluding part, talking about his sport, his cameras, and his photography. We haven't ever had three guest spots before. This is a first. And we also have your questions, of course, in the mailbag as ever. So uh, we should probably get on with it. Kev, the floor is yours. OK, this is a good question from Michael Beecham. He says, hey, both. Thanks so much for the selling podcast. Yada, 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 yada. Here's a question for you. And this is a really good question. Even if a client wanted to pay you for it, is mm. there anything that you wouldn't photograph and why? <laughs> God, that's a loaded question. Well, one thing instantly comes to mind, but I don't really want to mention it. Oh, oh not that thing you, you did the other day. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what wouldn't I photograph? 
I wouldn't want to photograph anything that is um, that's manipulative that I see as something that is, I mean, in advertising world, if I really didn't agree with a product, I couldn't photograph it. I wouldn't photograph it. Hmm. If, I, if I felt that it was, you know, some, some yeah, no, that, that's the kind, that would be a line, definitely for me. Yeah, so I'm pretty similar, actually. I, I, I think as long as it's within my own ethical boundaries, mm-hmm. then I'll take money for anything these days. <laughs> uh, but my ethical boundaries are pretty pretty strict. Are I they? have to say, I'm yeah. not a big fan of anything that's exploitative. You know, for example, I, like when p- you see people doing street photography of Yeah, I meant of homeless, exploitative, not, not manipulative. Yeah. Homeless people and things yeah. like that. And, and I think if you're doing something to help those people, yeah. right, whether that's giving them uh, some food or money or whatever at the same time, or you're making a story to help them, then fine. But if it's just, you know, whatever. Lee Jeffries gets an awful lot of kickback, doesn't he? Now, I'm a big fan of Lee Jeffries' work in so far as I think that uh, I've I've reached out on so many occasions to try and interview him. He's never, ever, I've Mm. never even received a no thank you back from him. And sometimes, you know, look, I know he's a big name, but bigger names than than Lee have turned turned us down and actually had the, the, you know, written back. And also he uh, must remember that he wasn't a big name. Mm, at one no, point not no, no, too no. long ago no you know but but his work now that does focus upon the homeless yes but i think he feeds back into that doesn't he with um with the work that he does oh absolutely yeah. I, I, absolutely he's he's definitely above above board but there are many photographers that that just have a, an issue probably because he's, he's um you know he's, he's risen above them in the echelons of fame now I yeah and, and a lot of people a lot of the how the, dare he a lot of, of the um commentary on on lee stuff yeah. in the early days was well this is this is more about how you process those images yes. rather than uh, than the actual yeah. people in them but either way regardless i think they're beautiful um and mm. i think he's, he's really very good but yeah i mean in terms of is there stuff i like i'm very uh i don't like bad things i don't like medical things you know i like mm. things when people are sad and everything and you know well, like, uh, well could you go and photograph a funeral because people are, are very I'm, sad I'm at not funerals sure often. you see i i mean i and i felt ext- uh, you know I when, I, when i photographed um a funeral um and th- those kind of events I, I always feel like i've really given something back and i come away immeasurably proud that i am a photographer i think i would find it really hard to photograph something like um you know having a uh, somebody watching their pet be put down you oh, know if no, it was a no. if it was a documentary for a vet or so, there's a guy in the telly isn't it super vet they call him or yeah. something and he, it, it's it's a, I, I hate the program i hate but it but that's part of the story though isn't that it? it's documentary and you love uh, documentaries <laughs> but you're not going Doc, out there it's made you... for tv that's not documentary do you not think so no you no? get so so this dog gets but they don't only do sad stories on that. Cut, no, they, well, it never is a sad story. The dog gets cut in half by yeah. a lorry, right. and it goes in, and 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 it's it, it the, the format is exactly the same. It's yeah. uh, super vet goes, oh no, it's the, you know I'm really sorry. Then you see the person crying because yeah. the dog's going to be put down, yeah. and then the super vet says, there is just one thing we can try. Right. And then and then he puts the dog back together and it looks just like it did at the beginning of the show. Uh, it's a rubbish program. Sorry if anybody's <laughs> you listening. You don't enjoy it. <laughs> no. um, but but uh, yeah, I suppose that's where I would I would find it really. The thoughts and opinions of of course of uh, personal opinions <laughs> <Yes>. of <laughs> it's uh, for review purposes. I it, might add. It's such a good question. In terms of technical, it's it's not so rubbish. It's very well filmed. It's yes, absolutely. God, dear, rescue the day, Kev. Yeah, season C's apply. Uh, <laughs> God. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it must be. Tough question, yeah, that. I think doing hospitals, um, doing the, the uh, 24 hours in A and E and stuff like that, might, must be difficult. Yes, but, al- but also I, sometimes, I, I mean, could do that. Sam loves the, those shows. I, oh, whenever right. I come down, I'm thinking, no, please, no, not this. And then she will, you know, could we just do Netflix tonight? <laughs> I don't watch those things. I couldn't yeah. watch those things, but I could film and, and, and yeah. photograph that. You've got the empathy to do it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can divorce myself from the gore and the, the, uh, the situations. You know, I've photographed this. Oh, hold on. Uh, hold on, hold on. Where's my phone? There it is. Hello? No, 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 no. He didn't mean you for divorce. No. <laughs> You're okay. Yeah, see you later. She wondered for a moment. Uh, was that the first one or the second one? <laughs> <laughs> Careful. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, great question. Uh, yeah, very good question. Yeah, I think, yes, you're right. Um, stuff that... Uh, yeah, yeah. Ethical boundaries and all that. Yeah, ethical boundaries. You're right. Yeah. But my ethical boundaries are getting lowered <laughs> quite <laughs> yes. dramatically. They're, at the exception- They're exceptionally low now. Uh, Jim Butler, do you think um, somebody running a one-to-one workshop who is also a YouTube vlogger, this seems to be a loaded question, should vlog whilst conducting that workshop? Or even should a non-vlogger be taking his or her own shots during the customer's time? Is this, oh, we're back to ethics, ethically, morally right, stroke acceptable. As I've recently seen on uh, a certain photographer's vlog, I have to admit, being a bit shocked myself when he mentioned it, no names, no pat drill. So, so obviously he's seen something that he has somebody mm. doing that. Um, I don't know. I mean, when, when you, if, if the person you're with on the one-to-one workshop has said, yeah, that's cool, I'd like to be part of this process, then that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't see it as, as any kind of... I, I remember once going on a... Um, on a uh, it wasn't a workshop it was mm. like a, uh, a master class type thing at one of the conventions early day, really in the real early days during the war during the war and um it was it was like a, a model shoot you know they had a model and right. and you take pictures of it oh let's go uh, back to that last question um, while you're doing that yeah uh, model model shots at uh, photography um events oh, i couldn't do that no 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 no, no. i, I uh, and anyway, the, the and point fake, fast forward. Sorry. The point was that the the, the photographer <laughs> yeah. was uh, there was about twenty five people in this masterclass, and and the photographer was just every time he'd see something exciting or he'd set up something nice or whatever, or the light was good or whatever, it was all about his. You know, he was the only one who was allowed to get the pictures. And um, so he stopped other people making the pictures. He stopped other people. No way. And then his website was full of these these pictures. Right. And so that was just a masterclass. So it's slightly different than a, than a thing. But but yeah, I mean, if you know, if you go along to a workshop, a full day workshop, and mm. you expect to have the, uh, the 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 tutor to be you know giving you its undivided attention, then then you you should expect that. But if at the same time the tutor said, look, hey, you know what, we're going up a mountain. Do you mind if I bring a a, a camera along and make a little film along the way? As mm. long as the person and doesn't feel like they've lost out then then fine um well, I, I don't know say. who jim's talking about because he didn't but I, I can think of somebody straight away who did that on a particular tour and i quite enjoyed the process of of now as a viewer i, I think i'd have equally enjoyed it if i was on the trip with him i just don't want to give his name because <laughs> that yeah. but no, but no, no. i think i'd have enjoyed the process of watching him make what i um, what I saw him do that probably attracted me to, to his channel in the yeah. first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could say, actually, you fed into it. Yeah, and of course, you know, the, the whole thing about YouTube is that a lot of these people do, they use YouTube as their marketing mm. 
placement really and uh you know the the the, the videos a lot of the landscape people make them beautiful beautiful videos and that leads them to do what's well, the way they walks. can make money sometimes yeah, of course, yeah. 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 So, so yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it does depend entirely on circumstance, of yeah. course. Your mileage may vary. Your mileage may vary. Kev, as we said, busy one today, three guests to come. Andrew Hall, the Fujifilm ambassadorial ex-series photographer, based in Australia, celebrated, recognised motorsports photographer with a new pastime, actually, that slowed him down a touch, as you'll find out. There's the uh, second part, two of uh, Hail to the Chief Engineer, as we dutifully bow in recognition to the genius who is Fujifilm product specialist Carl Hare. Uh, but first, as Kev said right at the start, with this period being the, the 10th anniversary of the launch of the, the first, the original X100, that really started things rolling for the brand, the camera that began it all, we're delighted to be able to talk with a man for whom, well, frankly, if he hadn't drawn his ideas down on a piece of paper, none of this. This camera, this series, this podcast, none of it would be quite what we see and enjoy today. Last week at something like four o'clock in the morning, Kev trekked into his office one hour up road from here to chat by Skype link with the designer in Japan behind what was originally called the Fujifilm FinePix X100. Today I am extremely pleased and proud to have Masazumi Imai with us. And uh, Masazumi is one of the original designers of the Fujifilm X100 and other Fujifilm cameras and lenses, I believe. And we're here specifically because the X100 is now 10 years old, which is amazing. So uh, Masazumi, welcome and uh, thank you for speaking to me today. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, very fine. I'm very proud of today's uh, conversation. Can you just give me a very brief background to you, perhaps before you joined Fujifilm, in terms of how did you uh, become a designer? Was this something you always wanted to do? I love to make something by my hand when I was a kid. After that, I uh, went at school in Tokyo. After that, first of all, I used to be in Minolta. Do you remember Minolta Camera Company? Yes, yes, yes. As you know, that company is now no longer a camera manufacturer due to merger. Mm-hmm. I quit just before the merger. At that time, my salary was dramatically reduced and it was less than the lent for my loom. Um, this uh, wasn't going to stand, so I looked at a design magazine and found out that Fujifilm was looking for a product designer. This was nearly 20 years ago. When I remember the original X100, it came to the market as quite a surprise to a lot of people because mm. it was very different to all of the other cameras that seemed to be being made at the time. How, how did the X100 happen? What, what, what's the story behind that? Um, first of all, the largest number of digital camera shipments was around 2009. At that time, we could see the trend that the digital camera market was going to be taken over by smartphones. So um, companies, including us, turned to value-added cameras that 
couldn't be replaced by smartphones. And until, uh, up until then, which film had only produced compact cameras. So we decided to use our knowledge of photography and Fujinon lenses as our weapons for our new flagship camera. And then um, we decided to aim for a product that people around the world could see at a glance that the camera photographed well and that they could tell at the same time that it was a good camera. And in terms of design, I came up with a hypothesis. It was, uh, it was the original experience. I had when I encountered a good camera when I was a child. My father kept this camera in his room and told me that I should never touch it. I thought it would be a good idea to bring back that form to our new camera. And uh, in this way, I came up with the concept of a design that had the appearance of a film camera and began to study it. Through a process of thought and error, we arrived at the design of the first X100. I think it was shown at Photokina. I think that's where mm -hmm. it was, was first shown. Were you yeah. were you surprised at the reaction? Were you surprised at how people were interested in that camera? Was that a surprise to you? Yeah, I remember that clearly. Um, that was a surprise, big, big surprise for us because um, I couldn't tell them, tell the audience to our design concept. But a um, lot of audience said, um, this is a very good camera. This is very similar to my um, grandfather's camera. So I think this is a very good camera. It's been 10 years now. So yeah. uh, firstly, you must be very, very proud of, of the fact that 10 years later, the camera is still going uh, very strong. And also, did you... Did you expect 10 years later for us to be talking about the X100V, for example? <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, we couldn't imagine this kind of situation. Anyway, I'm very proud of it, thanks to users like Kevin, who loved the original X100. The X-Series began to make its way into the lineup. Um, the only reason we have been able to keep it going to this day is because of the many people who, use, who have used it since then. The X100, it, it hasn't changed too much over the years. Mm -hmm. um, it still looks beautiful and the big change has been the LCD on the back, the flip screen. Were you still involved with the X100V? Is that something that you were still working on? Okay, now I'm uh, designing other uh, categories X-Series. Mm -hmm. But I always checked the result of the sales of X100V mm -hmm. because um, one of my dearest baby is uh, X100V. And I use X100V 
in weekend, every weekend. So um, my favorite is X100B. I remember when you and I were in Dubai, I think. Yeah, and, uh, I and the uh, And you very kindly signed my original X100, which <laughs> I still... I still have Save that. Sign. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't take it out in the rain just in case the signature gets washed off. Um, um, but the, the the LCD was something. Uh, the the tilt screen was something that myself, as a, a long term user of the X100, wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wasn't particularly keen on that. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, the design of it when when it came to market was mm-hmm. was great because it's. It's recessed into the camera. You, 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 it doesn't even appear to be there until until you bring it out. Was that a w- was that a real design challenge? Uh, all about the efforts of the mechanical designers. I've talked to them many times about the importance of the rear LCD not sticking out mm-hmm. and how beautiful it is. They fully understood and worked on it. The problem is that the development time is short. In a short period of time, I sometimes suggested mechanical design improvements to achieve the flat LCD, and we worked together to make this happen. I'm interested to know how long or how many iterations, how many design phases might, might a new product go through uh, is it? Uh, does it take maybe two years before, or three years, or longer, perhaps? Very good question. <laughs> yeah, in case of X100, um, it took uh, over two years. If I remember rightly, and, and I may be wrong with this, there there were originally twenty three members of the mm-hmm. X series team. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is that r- roughly right? Is that how many were were around for the original X100, the design and build of that camera? Yeah, I think um, not so much changed. So I think we are a small development team. Every time my designer friend asks me, and they say, are you developing with that few people? Mm. Yeah, every time. In a good way of saying, we are uh, quick and energetic. Well, I, I think it's incredible that such a small team in, mm. in, in 10 years has, has gone from the, uh, the X100 to uh, the, the XT, the X-Pro, uh-huh. GFX, XH-Line, all of that with, with such a small team is, yeah. is incredible really incredible you you must be quite close as a um as a team and you must you must work very well together i suppose yeah i hope so if you could uh design a a dream camera tomorrow a new one um (laughs) without without uh without giving away any (laughs) any secrets of course what 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 do you think would be your dream dream camera something maybe that that would love to see that's that's very hard to to do maybe okay there's no secret because um just my imagination mm-hmm. um dream camera i would choose the best of all materials and devices and build many times a bit many prototypes and at the same time, I want to carefully craft the operation of the device 
and uh, I don't want to be pressed for time. Mm-hmm. Very important point. And the camera um, could be designed to have a strong presence, and the lens could be a kind of dual focus instead of a zoom for compactness and image quality. Yeah, I love to bring a small but high quality product. So maybe that's kind of camera. So when when you sit down for the first time with a with, with an idea, do you are you literally sketching on pieces of paper and and does it does it grow from there? I used to um, sketch um, using by my hand a lot of time. Yeah, mm-hmm. concept and uh, spec and uh, some kind of uh, character of the camera is very important just before start the design. And then all of those sketches and designs, do you keep them all? And I imagine, I'm just thinking maybe kind of 50 years in the future, all of these these little hand drawings and uh, sketch oh. ideas will be will be in a museum somewhere and uh, maybe the museum in Tokyo. And, okay. uh, you know, they, they will... Good. <laughs> Yeah, they they will be great to to see. So I well I hope you're keeping them anyway because I think that, <laughs> that it will be important for future future generations to see that. So where do you where do you get your um, inspiration from? Do you do you look at external influences? Do they come from other other forms? I keep a close eye on a variety of design information including products such as cars and architectures. And sometimes this information directly inspires my designs, but what influences me the most is what people say about what design are accepted and how they are received. So I like to hear directly from users as much as possible. We all kind of thank you and the whole team really for for running with that idea 10 years ago uh, mm. i can't i can't imagine it was it must have been very brave <laughs> to to think <laughs> we can take this and and move with it um uh, and you know you've won awards for the designs uh, yourself individually as well as the the team can you see perhaps into the future the next 10 years do you think that we will, um, you know, we will sit here in ten years' time and 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 still be reminiscing about the original X100 and what's what's gone in between that. Are you are you excited by the next ten years? I guess is the question. I can't imagine next ten years, but um, I have to imagine because future vision is very important for our business. So of course we um, prepare for uh, next ten years. Uh, digital camera style, concepts, category. As I said, um, people's voice is very important for us. But I hope um, we want to keep our X-Series category. And I, we have to develop our category for next 10 years. An absolute honour to have had uh, Masazumi Amai on the show, talking with Kevin Mullins last week, Mom's Breed to Japan. There's almost a book in that. 
Uh, packed show this week, as we said. Still to come, Carl Hare. Hail to the chief engineer on the show. Kev rubs shoulders with Magnum Royalty. You know Kev. More of your questions and this week's book. A clean break, actually, from last week's. Complete pun and entirely meant. And you'll get it when you'll hear what the book is. But first, uh, we said it was, uh, as I said, Pat week of guests. We go from camera designer to camera user. And Australia's Andrew Hall, a Fujifilm ex-photographer ambassador for the brand, who has proved that it is possible to go from using the, the well-known DSLR brands to mirrorless in a business or sport where the, the large-bodied camera has dominated the landscape for so many years. Uh, Andrew has a degenerative nerve condition called HNPP. It was a late-onset condition. And, uh, well, essentially it means he has no feeling in his hands or his feet. The condition is not that common, although he does say some people can go through life not even knowing they have it. And then there's Andrew, who describes himself as the poster boy for the extreme end of the condition. But it's never stopped him photographing what he loves. He has special braces designed that he may continue holding cameras, walking the track, doing what he needs to do, working in the pit lanes, returning the pictures that he always has, plus, as you're about to find out, some new ones. The second and concluding part of a chat with Andrew Hall, international motorsport photographer. Is, is there a money shot? Is there that, you know, holy grail of motorsport shots that you're all after every single time? Well, look, it depends on the track. I mean, you know, uh, there's Mount Fuji, um, for example. Um, it's a, um, a cruel mistress. Mount Fuji at the base of sort of a, a turn 12, I think, at, at Fuji Speedway. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go through a whole race meeting, like three days of practice and race day, and not see it. Mm. Last year, uh, it was behind cloud all day, um, with the exception of about 15 minutes huh. um, uh, before sunset. And I happened to be, I took a gamble. My spidey sense told me that it, it, the sun was actually going to come out for 15 minutes. <laughs> and um, I took a gamble and I walked, literally walked all the way around and there was not a soul there, no other photographers. I'm thinking mm. I've, I've messed up here. Um, and literally 15 minutes before sunset, the cloud broke and I got this golden, golden track. Wow. Um, my client's car <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the shot cloud above Mount Fuji, orange glow. And, and as I'm taking the pictures and the sun's setting and it's setting really quickly, I could see the media bus coming around the outside of the track loaded with about 30 photographers all screaming for the guy to go, drive faster, drive faster. <laughs> so they all piled out. The car hadn't even, the truck hadn't even stopped. They all piled out of the bus, ran to the fence just as the sun dipped behind Mount Fuji. And I bet you um, had a wry uh, smile. Yeah, a wry smile and a a, a major na 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 na. Because they were all all saying to me, "You've made a you've made a mistake here, Andrew." Or well, you made a mistake there, Skippy, because yeah. um, being the only Australian that's photographing the World Endurance Championship, they've come up with an incredibly original nickname yeah, for me. Very Skippy. original, yeah. But yeah, so I had the last um, the last laugh. But yeah, look, Mount Fuji comes to mind. Le Mans, some of the the long straights through the forest um yeah there's a number of shots but but yes they're iconic and yes they're the money shot but it doesn't mean they can't be Mm. tweaked and and you can't 
you know, challenge yourself to find something different. Now, it's interesting you mentioned that you got that shot, Mount Fuji, but it was your client's car. So I didn't realise um, that, that you may be attached to particular teams. I, I'd always thought, right, they must be photographing the event as a whole. So, so you're attached to a team as such then, are you? I, I do a lot of work for um, Daily Sports Car, which is a, a fabulous um, online resource for sports car enthusiasts. And yes, we have our readers, um, but we also have client work. So, you know, they'll give me a list that I, I dutifully scribble on the back of my hand, say, you know, these, these are the cars you need. Mm. The trouble is trying to shoot, you know, the shot that I did at Mount Fuji, the car was actually going away from me and I couldn't see it coming. So it was a lot of looking over your shoulder, checking to see which car, you know, your, where your car was coming. Yeah. Um, and pray it stayed in the frame. So. Now, I, I have the advantage, the benefit here of being able to see you uh, on a Zoom call. Uh, everybody else is going to be listening to this as audio, but I can see behind you uh, a fabulous shot, um, a motorsport shot, the classic pan shot, you might might call it. You actually had a whole video of, I think, well, maybe not a whole video, but a, a, a great proportion of a video explaining the pan shot. And it is the, cla- oh. it is the classic. It is, a, it is, well, we go back to money shots, really. Now, I mean, you have to be yeah. sort of careful physically of how this works for you, I know, because of various limitations that we've already discussed. But uh, can you talk me through a, the classic pan shot that I can see you do so effortlessly, which I know I would screw up? There's not, there's no, it's not effortless, I tell you. It's, look, some days I, I can go to a corner, pan, and get every single car in the middle of the frame, pin char at 60th of a second. Um, I go back there... The next day, same weather conditions, same everything, same, you know, moon phase, tide, everything, and I just can't get anything in the frame. It's all about rhythm. And if you if you don't have the rhythm um, with the pan and you're not panning smoothly, um, my advice, walk away. Right. <laughs> walk away, have a good have a good talk to yourself, go and do something else, do a front on shot or you know, until you know, until you actually get into a rhythm and then go back and try and do your pan shot. And, and, te- um, and technically that, you're on a, a, a 60th of a second. That seems to be your, your magic shutter speed, does it, for these shots? Um, sometimes lower, depending on, depending on, you know, if you're going for, for art, then you can go down to a 30th, you can go down right. to a 20th, right. and, you know, the error rate goes up a little bit. Um, as long as one particular part of the frame or of the car is, is sharp, then, you know, it, it, it uh, emphasises movement and emphasises everything. But unfortunately, your client will be going, well, I can't read that sponsor's name. So sometimes, you know, and again, if I'm having a, a bad panning day, I'll start at yeah. 160th. I'll start, then drop to 125th, 90th, and then 60th. And then yeah, then yeah. that particular shot in the background, which uh, I know your listeners won't be able to say, but uh, it was... That was 50th of a second. Right. Taken with the 56 1.2 um, on a on an XT2, I think. Um, and the reason why I had to shoot it that slow was because it was a Corvette in the foreground, but in the background was the Toyota Hospitality. Uh, <laughs> oh yes, thing. So yeah. Faster than a 50th, and you could read the word Toyota. That was the only. That was a creative way around getting rid of the word Toyota, and also that. But then using the blue lights in the background to, to make a make a different image. Um, thirty years photograph. Well, I know you said you started early. Thirty years photographing motorsport, Andrew. Um, what what mm-hmm. main things have changed for you in the, in the sport itself? What what what's changed in in general? As a sport, look, I mean, access has definitely changed um, in the. In the good old days, I, mean, I shot the Australian motorsport scene for, you know, for 20 years from the 
late 80s, early 90s, and you could walk into a garage or walk, you know, walk up to the back. You were, the drivers were accessible. Um, you know, it wasn't as much corporate uh, money involved. It was more, I'm not going to say club level, but it was more, you know, it, it felt like a um, more of a sport rather than a business. What have been the standout moments so far where you thought, Andrew, nailed that, got it, that's a shot, that's a keeper forever? Actually, I was I was going through quite a, a few pictures. I've, I've been asked to do, obviously, in my my capacity as a, an ex ambassador, I, I do a lot of you know presentations to camera clubs and to to camera stores and things. So, going back through my library, you know, it's there's um, yeah, there's a number of shots that I'm I'm very proud of. But you know, and it's more so. It tends to more be the portraiture that I, I love the the pit lane. The you know, I love shooting in pit lane. Mm. That's my favourite spot because it's close to the media centre as well <laughs> and um and at Le Mans it's close to you you know you get to know the Ferrari garages that have got the best coffee so at 2am <laughs> is that official Ferrari have the best coffee it is official yes right. yeah you have gearboxes down one side of the garage and, and cappuccino machines and you know, espressos <laughs> down the other side so and you walk past there so you, yeah you walk past there and they throw a coffee at you um look it's there's so many I've shot so many races and I've shot so many eras i suppose you know through a long career there, there's so many yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to put a finger on which one obviously now my sports car mm. uh the passion sports cars is something that you know and being able to travel with the wec you know we, we've been to been to mexico city which was phenomenal mm. um been to bahrain a few times we've been to, to japan you know um, texas you know all these places that, that i'm very very privileged to be able to go to yeah to, to nail yeah you'd know you've got to done a good job by you know, often your peers will come past your laptop and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool, yeah, yeah. and you, yeah. and 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 it's all you don't seek approval, but when when it when it's it's given, yeah, it's 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 a nice nice warm and fuzzy. I've noticed um, that tempers can get sometimes quite frayed in the pit lanes, and you were talking about the the pit lanes, and um, and you certainly enjoy photographing in there. Do you, do you? I mean, if you if you sniff out that kind of problem, does that make a good picture, or is that the kind of thing where they would say, look, Andrew, what goes on to please no pictures of this kind of thing? Again, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. You know, a lot of the teams are secret, are quite secretive. Um, I'm, I'm actually, it's, I'm honoured that when I can walk into most garages with two cameras over my shoulder, um, with, they've got engine covers off or they've got suspension parts exposed and they know they can trust me not to take a picture. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the fact that uh, I've been doing this for so long, um, that they know that they can trust me, and that's um, that's a great feeling because I can, you know, mostly walk into any garage and, and not have an issue. Whereas, you know, you get some some young young guy who wants to try and make a name for themselves to go in and photograph everything, even if it's something that that I think you know could be newsworthy. I still won't take a picture of it. Mm. And then, you know, team owners and team man- managers sort of get to know you and know they can trust you. And, and even mechanics will, some new mechanics, they'll look at you as you walk in and the team manager will go, no, he's, he's, cool. he's cool. He's all right. So, you know, and that's, that's a nice uh, level of, of um, respect to have as well. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the new photographers. Is it a really tricky game to get into? I would imagine there's a lot of people that want to do it. The problem is now, at the moment, you know, and this is where um, someone described me the other day as you're, you're an old man yelling at clouds, you know. And it's like, oh, because I, I always start something with, you know, back in my day and all the young guys, their eyes start rolling back. <laughs> Here we go. You know. well, the old man's got, yeah, sit back, everybody. He's, he's, he's on a rant again. Look, 
I am old. I, I have been doing it for a long time. Uh, yeah, I, have, I was shooting with mirror lenses, for goodness sake. Um, you know, 600mm f8 fixed aperture lenses, no autofocus, film winder, two frames a second, shooting transparency film for 20 years. So, you know, I still shoot like I'm shooting film. I don't. We have what, what we call the, um, the prey and sprayers. So, you know, you're standing next to them and the car comes into view and the minute it comes into view, they're on the button and, and take, you know, third, a 30 or 40 picture sequence and then pick the two out of the middle that they're going to use. And you go, well, why don't you just wait? Like, yeah. Wait till it gets to the point and then push the button like, and do two shots. I, I still shoot like I'm shooting film yeah. because every time when I was shooting film, every time I push the button, it was costing me money. So, you know, and these guys now, you know, you can, you can go and buy, a, spend enough money and get a decent kit um, that will take great pictures pretty much on automatic, you know, or P for professional, as we call it. But, <laughs> you know, you've still got to download all those pictures. You've still got to pick the ones you want. And, and I don't understand. I said, why don't you just wait and, and take, you know, wait till it gets to the point where it, it's at its optimum, the decisive moment, as they say, and push the button. Um I have discussions, especially when I'm, uh, I'm very lucky to be invited to, you know, roundtable uh, discussions with Fuji uh, in Japan, especially when I'm over there for, for racing. And you're listening to some of the requests from other photographers and, and they go, I need better skin tone at 10,000 ISO. And I'm, I'm looking at them going, but yeah, remember when we used to shoot film and you had 400, you know, that was the maximum. And they look at me and go, no. And I go, right. But they, they never shot film. So it's, you know, it, it's, and then you can't, you can't explain why, you know, why you have to be, you should be thankful that you've got 1600 ISO or 5000 ISO, you know, you should be thankful because we never had that as photographers mm. back in the, you know, I was shooting Velvia, which was 50 ISO. Mm. If the, and if you had halfway through a roll of 36 and the sun went in, that's game over. You couldn't, you couldn't do anything. Absolutely. So the young, the young, I have like, I have the utmost respect for someone who wants to try and get into the game, but they also have to, my, my disappointment is there's no apprenticeship. You know, I started at club level. I worked my way up to national level meetings and then got uh, a lucky break um, and got to the Grand Prix and then sort of was shooting Grand Prix, the, the Australian Formula One for 20 years. But, you know, it, you have to, I served my time and, and I worked on my craft and I improved and I was using, you know, we're still using manual focus lenses and all sorts of things. So to see young people come in now and go, well, why can't I get the press access to the Formula One? Well, you know, and then they get disappointed that, that they're not. Um, they're not there in their first year. And I said, well, you've got to, and I always say this to any photographer that's starting out, start at club level, start at grassroots, um, build your skills, try and have a point of difference. You're not like everybody else. Um, your images, you know, you can point at a picture and go, oh, that's, you know, I know who's that one, who, sh who took that shot. And then try and get more accreditation, but don't try and come in at the, at the top. Of course, making pictures at these kind of events around the world has been very important to you. But without the travel at this particular moment in, in our history, how have you been satisfying your shutter count, Andrew? What's it been doing instead? Well, I said I live, I live across the road from a wetland, which uh, has a large number of birds and, and uh, snakes and lizards and things. So um, I've been going to take pictures of, of birds and local 
fauna. And it's been, I mean, sitting there going, how hard could that be? And the answer is, <laughs> very. I thought, you, know, you, you wait uh, at Le Mans, they do something like 350 laps or 400 laps or whatever yeah. they do. And you go, right, he's going to hit that curb every lap. So I'll just wait. And you know he's going to come around and hit that curb. Whereas a little, um, and I have, I'm sad to say that I've, I know I now have a bird identification app on my phone, so I've become a, a full, a full, fully fledged birder. Um, they don't sit there, and no. they don't um, stay still, and they don't go in the direction you thought they would. So I have a great deal of respect um, for anyone who can can sit there patiently and, and get some bird, nice bird shots. I've got a, I've got a few nice ones, but. No. Yeah, it's more, more luck than judgment, I think. New career, perhaps? Uh, no, not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> I do not have the patience. And, and I know that nature is taunting me now because I go across there um, and there's a particular patch of wrens that, that I've got, got friendly with. And um, now they will actually come and, and hop on my foot and hop oh, really? over my foot. Oh, wow. I've got a, a, a 400mm lens on and it's like, yeah. you know what? It's a little bit close. Can oh, you just okay. go over and you sit over the branch over there in the sun and just turn this way? Well, as long as the snakes aren't attaching the, the, themselves to your foot, that that's a that's a positive thing. Um, the, no, I stay on the I stay away from that. Well, I stay on the boardwalk, and it's uh, we've got quite a few things. As I said, that will kill you in Australia, and, and most of them are just across the road. So, <laughs> um, I think it's mutual respect. Um, you just stay, you leave them alone, and they should leave you alone. Thanks to Andrew Hall for his time chatting with us over the last couple of weeks. Next week, it's the turn of Ryan Katsanis, who's a listener and contributor to the show through the Facebook group, who caught our eye with a project he made quite some time ago, but has just released. And it caught our eye because he had unique access to a part of a certain prison called Alcatraz that the regular run-of-the-mill guest, and even in the day, inmate, didn't have access to. So that's next week. Um, in, in a couple of minutes, Carl Hare answering your deep tech questions, including, I think, a really interesting one about facial recognition, eye autofocus, and wait for it, the face mask. Uh, anyway, that's uh, coming up. Kev, it has not escaped my notice, by the way. You have a new mate, don't you now? <laughs> I think your new mate is... I think you like your new mate more than you like this mate. <laughs> uh, should I feel jealous? Me and my mate. A- and your new mate is even more... Is, is, is you know... Well, he's certainly more famous. <laughs> no, I don't think so. He is, of course, he is. No, um, chasing yeah. the fame. <laughs> yeah, so the I, I went to the Martin Parr Foundation. It's reopened. Wow. Um, so, as part of the one, if you're a foundation member, mm. as I am, as you, wise, you get to uh, you get to have a little wander around and a, and a gander and a chat. Yeah. And uh, so, wow. yeah, we're, we're, it's finally finally reopened. Yeah after many months of uh, of not being open. So, yeah, it's cool. It's um, in Bristol, so it's quite local to me. So I wandered down there. Is his number now on your mobile? <laughs> <laughs> Does he text you? <laughs> no. Kev, what do you think of the scores? Ah, oh, I'll tell you what, Martin. It was very close. Bristol City versus Bristol Rovers. No, um, yeah, but it's an incredible. It's a it's a brilliant place down there. If yeah. you uh, you know you don't it's it's not. It's How long have you been a member? Mm, since January. Oh, okay, not too long, but why, why, why did you join? 
Well, because I'm really ex- I'm, I'm really interested in what he does there, yeah. and um, because it's a foundation, it's not it's not all of his pictures. Yeah. In fact, there's very few of his stuff there. It's more so it's not about a celebration of art in power, it, is it? No, 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 not at all. Yeah. It's a it's a curation yeah. of um, of British, mostly British photography, but photography from around the world. Mm. And so there's exhibitions and talks, and 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 if you're a member, you get access to you know you get early access to the the talks. Um, Don McCullen's there this week. I believe wow. whether it's still happening or not, I don't know. But it was to be the first mm. one that you can go and sit and, mm-hmm. and listen, and it's it's going to be on Zoom as well. So for the members only, you can watch yeah. it on Zoom. So yeah, that's that's why I joined it originally, and, yeah. and you know, obviously I like Martin's stuff, and uh, it's it's a really good celebration of photography yeah, there. Well, get you with your new friend Martin Parr <laughs> and your new best mate Carl here too, Kev. It's time to get proper tech from O. Some surprising bits coming up before we go back to your other questions and this week's book review. Kevy's back in his den in Malmesbury, this time with a man who knows. Make way for the brain coming through. Hail to the chief engineer. Go on then, Kev. Launch with the questions. Matthew Chan says, is there any way to get the three different auto ISO settings from photo mode to be used in movie mode? Uh, potentially. It's something that I've fed back to Japan um, a couple of times, actually. But it's not uh, possible right now. It's not possible right now, or it, it's not current right now. Um, I don't know the implications. Might be processing, might be something like that. Yeah, no, I can see why that would be useful for sure. Although I would say, I, I typically, when I'm making any kind of film, is I, I shoot totally manually. Um, mm-hmm. And if the light changes, I'm adjusting the exposure accordingly. And I think that's probably going to give you a better uh, exposure generally when filming. So, um yeah, I'm not sure whether that would be something I would actually use anyway, but I can see the reason why you might, especially if the clouds and all that kind of stuff are just bumping in around. Yeah, and I, I guess it also goes, I've seen a couple of other questions. I've been uh, looking through the the questions on the group uh, on my personal account. So um, mm-hmm. there was a couple of questions about the ISO invariance in the sensor. I'm sure we'll get to that a bit later. Mm-hmm. But um, there's also some stuff around that. Um, so we'll get onto that with the ISO yep. invariance sensor stuff at the at the end. Yeah, that ISO invariance question. I'm very excited about that. That's <laughs> my dog head. I really want to know the answer to that. Um, okay, so this is an interesting one. You definitely won't know the answer to this, but it's a, it's an interesting conversation I think to have from Adam Featherstone, and he says, uh, with the widespread wearing of face masks, has that had any implications on how face recognition focused technology will be developed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then things like sunglasses and stuff as well i guess with the the face masks yeah um yeah i guess so um <laughs> i know that the the camera won't pick up a face because it doesn't realize that something's there because it's being obscured by a face mask um yeah. i don't know how technology will go on forward whether we'll have to wear them um going forward a bit like japan where people are sick they wear a face mask um so i would only imagine what could come uh, in terms of AI and focus and stuff like that. But it's it's an interesting one. It is interesting. I bloody well hope that we don't end up having to wear face masks forever <laughs> anyway. Um, however, I, here's, a, here's a, bit, a bit of a sidetrack question from that that I've just thought of. Mm. So currently, most cameras have face detection and then the eye, and you can even set left or right eye priority. Is the, uh, if you know the answer to this, is the eye priority you know is it dependent on the face so is it technically like if i say left eye priority is it just looking for the eyes or is it still looking for the overall face as well because that would avoid the mask issue wouldn't it 
Yeah, I don't actually know the answer. Mm. Um, I would imagine that the focus software would look at what eyes look like. There must be database in the camera or yeah. in the processor somewhere of what they look like, where they are in relation to a nose and a mouth. I would really struggle with people from Merthyr Tidville then. Um, <laughs> okay. And, and in fact, in my house too, because whenever I point the camera at my kids nowadays, they just close their eyes and say, oh, dad. <laughs> um, so there we go. Okay, so this question is from Steve Davis, and he says, I tend to expose to the right, and while I do not believe I expose too far to the right, based on the histogram on the LCD, when I view the actual image on the LCD, I usually find that images, are, the highlights are overexposed and clipped much more. Now, I don't know, Carl, whether you saw the picture that Steve posted when you were browsing on your personal account. Um, any ideas? Yeah, so uh, I did have a little look. Uh, and there's a couple of things could be, but without having the camera in front of me and seeing his actual physical settings, we're obviously just going to go through a few. Um, you've got to remember that the screen on the back of the camera is giving you a JPEG preview of your RAW file. If you're just shooting in RAW, uh, it will give you your JPEG preview if you're shooting in RAW and JPEG. Uh, it could be your JPEG settings, could be your shadows, highlights, contrast, etc. Um, or it could be um, the natural live view setting that's built into the camera um which won't show you your um film simulation and things like that it will just give you what the camera thinks is natural in front of it um, yeah. so there's a few little few little things it could be yeah if in doubt with that kind of stuff is it is it often best to kind of do a, a software reset in the menu to kind of reset everything back yeah Okay, thank you. Uh, next one is from Stephen Gray. And I'm not sure whether this is a technical question or more of a usability one. Anyway, he says, why am I sometimes getting slightly soft, almost hazy pictures with my 50 to 140 wide open and even at f3.5? Happens quite often. Stopping down Q is the problem. Is it a fault or a bad habit I've picked up? Uh, it doesn't sound like it's a bad habit. It sounds like the lens might actually need to go back to Fujifilm sounds like it could be a lens decentering or mm. something like that I mean I've had a 5140 since it came out and I shoot basically everything wide open at 2.8 mm. and you know it's one of the sharpest lenses Fujifilm make bar the 290 so not something I could replicate I don't think it's your issue uh, I would probably send it back to Fujifilm and get it checked over by the guys at camera service just to be sure yeah, I have one of those lenses too, and I use it when I do the um, marathon stuff, and it's, it is really cool, uh, mm. wide open as well, very sharp. So, yeah, I mean, I suppose to test it, Stephen, you may have done this already, is you know, stick it on a tripod, test it at different apertures on the static subject, um, and see if, it's, if it does kind of have issues. Uh, but, yeah, send it back and uh, get it serviced. If you're in the uh, FPS, Fuji Professional Services, they will sort you out there as well. Right. Now, this is an interesting question, all the way from Dennis Lee's bunker in New York. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, uh, we know that stopping a lens down increases depth of field in front of the lens. So at that point, I immediately was like, huh? um, yeah. he says he gets that. It's like squinting. Now, that's a really good analogy. Yeah. But why does it sharpen all of the... Um, the stuff sitting on my sensor as well, all of the kind of dust and various things like that. Does this mean that if I squint in really bright light, I'll see even more stuff on my on the front of my eyeballs? Um, <laughs> so I suppose what he's saying is, you know, when you're stopping down, why is it? And I don't know. This was like way over my head. Why do we see sharpness in things on the sensor? Yeah. So um, it's 
like if you do squint, you see the proteins in your back of your eyeballs, in front of your optic nerve and your retina. Um, but when you close down the aperture, obviously it makes the hole smaller in the lens. So mm-hmm. the light has to come in uh, a straighter angle, straight into the lens. And that creates a shadow of sensor dust and things like that. So that's why you see it more. Uh, okay, that's, so that's the answer, Dennis. Answer. <laughs> yeah, a very simple answer. The answer, Dennis, is to clean your sensor. Uh, yeah, and uh, and when I squint, I see my eyebrows. That's very clever. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Warren says, if all the X-Series cameras sold since the original X100 was stood on one side on top of each other, how close to the moon would the last one get? <laughs> well, seeing as the moon's something like 250,000 miles away, uh, you'd probably you'd probably be quite close. To be yeah. fair, there's a lot of X100s that have been sold. Yeah, um, I think it's the second most popular X series camera to have been sold behind the XT20. Really? I think so. Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. I never yeah. knew that. Who'd have thought that? Uh, and of course, it's the 10 year anniversary of the X100 this week. Um, yeah. As we record this, 10 years. My God. Yeah. The little competition uh, came out. So if people want to enter a photo with an X100 series to be in chance i think it's actually winning an x100v that's engraved with 10 year anniversary and it's going to be a special color as well limited edition and uh, x100v um i can't quite remember what the url for that is do you you have that off the top of your head or you can just type in x100 anniversary competition into google i'm sure you'll find it but it's on the fujifilm website um yeah oh i'd love one of them marco venturini uh, turi (laughs) I've probably got that totally wrong. Uh, can we show, quantify the loss of image quality due to the AF sensors embedded in the photodiodes of the image sensor? So, Could this be why many consider X-T1s look better? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that a lot as well. X-Pro1, X-T1. Yeah. Um, and I think because we're, we're always chasing resolution in the, the modern day thing for some reason, um, I think because we've actually embedded the AF sensors and stuff onto the sensor, but the sensors are you know one and a half times more resolution uh i actually don't think you could quantify the the loss of image quality uh, and the fact it doesn't have a uh, a filter on the front an aliasing filter and stuff like that i actually think that xt2 xt3 and xt4 obviously have uh, the the from 16 to up to 26 megapixel sensor now um i think that's why the pro one t1 and the original x100 would with the uh, CCD in it, yeah. people people find them better. Um, someone once said they found the XT sensor really clinical compared to the original. Yeah, X, the X-Trans. T1 Pro one. Well, I suppose it is a little bit. I mean, I guess I, I sometimes people say that to me as well. You know, the X100 had better JPEGs than the X100 STV, all that kind of stuff. And and I suppose ultimately it does come down to it's very subjective, isn't it? One person's better is another person's worse. But yeah, as the sensors change, it's you know it's never going to be identical because yeah. things change. And uh, as uh, as Marco said in his very technical wording, uh, AF sensors embedded in the photodiodes. Yes, diodes. I like that word. Diodes. <laughs> uh, thanks to Carl Hare. Hail to the chief engineer, as we now know him on this show. Anyway, if you want to send Carl a question, you can do so through the private Facebook group for the Fujicast. Kev will pose the questions to Carl, which we'll play back on the show. So uh, if you're not a member yet, good time to become one. Head on over to Facebook, look for the Fujicast, and you're in. Uh, being a product specialist, of course, for, for Carl, there's not much that will catch him up. You can try him. Um, right, book coming up. But before that, here we go, Kev, back into questions. One from Tim Binner 
from Lanesville, Indiana. Guys, ironically, um, I'd watched a few videos this weekend about uh, the subject of JPEG and RAW. I do not shoot professionally and wonder, do you guys shoot JPEG only or RAW and JPEG like I do? It'd save me time if I went JPEG only, but I'm a, I'm a little bit scared to. I love monochrome. I know I cannot convert those JPEGs to colour. Any advice on this might make a, a suitable topic for the show. There we go. So now I know straight away that you shoot raw, don't you? Now but you used to I shoot, shoot both. You, yeah, I you, still shoot, shoot both. Yeah. Well, yes, I suppose. Yeah, I know. I do because I have the JPEG as my mm -hmm. my safety catch-all just in case there's a problem mm -hmm. um, in running out of uh, slot two. And the slot one is it's it's raws, and it seems quite an easy way to do that. Yeah, uh, I mean that, that, that would be my, my suggestion. That that be my suggestion yeah. too. And 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 don't don't feel stop, but but you know do not be scared of jpegs no i still I like most of That's my t-shirt isn't it do not be scared of the do JPEG. not be scared of jpegs Brrr. if i'm doing personal stuff i'm i'm nearly always just editing i might still shoot the raws as well mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm nearly always just editing from those jpegs i've got a whole new set of new um 2020 profiles uh, recipes jpeg recipes that i've right. dialed into my my cameras now have you yeah are you going to release those uh, well no no they're, they're not something you, i'll do a youtube video back to it but it's mm. not something you can release as a, oh, okay. as a product right. i can tell people what the settings are right. um and it's cool but it's it's using all of the new kind of um uh, classic neg and the oh, i thought you were gonna say you gave them film star names stuff or something. like that yeah. no, some of them are named after this one's called winona no <laughs> no i i uh you've got to be careful with all that kind of stuff you Why? know because you, well you you, you you need to for example i don't think you can just release presets called kodachrome 64 for example right. i don't think you can do oh, that yeah with uh, loads of people do they do i was going to say hang on everybody does i know but i don't know whether they they should I, i've been really enjoying digging into the jpegs now i've had a bit more time yeah. um especially with the x100v and the things you can do now with the uh, the color mm. the tint mm. you know even change of white balance in in the jpeg can make a give you a real nice vintagey look there's far more latitude cool. in jpegs than i think people appreciate oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the only reason i shoot raw really f is for the uh, the commercial stuff and mm. uh, weddings you know remember them and that you know <laughs> what's a wedding that's it yeah yeah, JPEGs is is still a thing, and 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 if you really really do kind of start digging into the uh, the way you can edit the JPEGs in the camera or set up the recipes in the Fujifilm ones, especially the Xtrans, the later Xtrans cameras, mm. it's great. I've made some lovely pictures, very filmic, just by changing the the settings. Yeah, the, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. There we go. Should we talk about a book? Que question, question sorted. Thank you, Tim. Um, yes, book this week. We are back to. Hoxton. Are we back to a Hoxton? Hoxton Mini Press. Oh, I can recognise them now. And and this, I remember a couple of weeks ago, somebody said to me, "You only talk about black and white books." So today, I brought in a very the most colourful book. Colourful thing you could possibly find it, on your shelf. It is. It's called <laughs> uh, Laundorama by Joshua Blackburn. Do you know if I hadn't? Because I didn't see the book. I hadn't seen you, but. It had a, a pink spine and a light blue on the... And I could have almost guessed what this would, would it's be It's very about. Martin Parr-esque, actually. It is this. very Martin Parr-esque. Um, your, your mate, obviously. <laughs> Photographer Joshua Blackburn has visited all... Blackburn? Uh, have, have a quick... Is he my brother? <laughs> He's your cousin. <laughs> have a... Have a how many... Guess, just just a very rough guess. Right. How many laundrettes are in London? Oh, my word. So a laundrette for... Oh, they have laundrettes in America. Do they call them laundrettes? Yeah. You might call them laundramas. No, long, anyway, right. where you you with washing machines and yeah. stuff, right? Well, do you, uh, where, you, where you go in, take your, take your uh, jeans off. That's right. Sit there with everybody looking while you wash it. Drink a can of coke. That's it. And, and people. Um, look through oh, I don't know. <laughs> Wild guess: sixty-eight. <laughs> Four hundred and sixty-two. What? <laughs> I'm I'm going into that business. I tell you what. 
Kev, there's money in, in laundering. Oh, 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 there actually is money oh, oh, in laundering. Oh, oh, <laughs> actually, this is well, me and Gemma once talked about opening laundrette because it's it's one of those things. If you can get it near a student place or, or in yeah. Malmesbury in Di- where they've got Dyson, a lot of uh, a lot of people renting. Nobody would go to a laundrette in, in posh Malmesbury. They would. They would not. If you make it nice, give them a cup of tea, stuff like that. But also, you, you just open it. You open it they at four o'clock them, in the morning. They're, they're their manservants do it in Malmesbury. <laughs> anyway, photographer Joshua Blackburn has visited all 462 laundrettes in London. You can make it into a coffee, London. Sh- a coffee shop as well, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Smalls and Coffee. coffee. Shop, laundry, Call it Smalls and Coffee. Smalls and Coffee. Got it. Uh, Got it, Kev. The resulting pictures are not just a portrait of a much-loved institution, but of a city itself, full of life, colour, faded nostalgia, and a whole mm. load of dirty laundry. So that's what it says <laughs> on the back. Faded nostalgia. That's the key thing. Nostalgia. So what we have here is, um, well... Pages wise, they're all in there. So uh, I've just gone to the index at the back. Page one hundred and seventy. Right. Uh, page one hundred and seven is Diamond Laundry, Finchley Road, West Hampstead. Okay, go on, go to it then. One hundred and seven. Here we go. One hundred and seven. One hundred and seven. There it is. There we go. So on page one hundred and seven from Diamond Laundry in Finchley is a picture of uh, a dirty old plug socket, some coat hangers, <laughs> um, a picture of Buddha that somebody has put on the wall. Yeah. Um, some post-it notes. The post-it notes are interesting. People yeah. are leaving people messages in yeah. the laundrette. That's the kind of stuff that goes so that on. Be a good book. Post-it notes. Yeah, look, it's lo- but isn't it lo- nostalgia though, right? So when you remember as a child the laundrettes, and oh, we used to. Well, I grew up in Newport. We, you know, we used to go to the laundrette. I'm just remembering actually, we did. We had a laundrette just, just, just round we from from where we lived, and we did go to it. Yeah, yeah my mum went it to it, the but norm. there were some things that our washing machine could handle, and some things that only the laundrette could handle for some reason. It was the norm, wasn't it? I remember. When I used to play at London Welsh, when mm. I was um, I was captain of the vets team for for a couple of years. Uh, vets, as in old people no, rather than animals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and part of my job was cleaning the laundry, cleaning the shirts. Was it? Every, well, you you drew the short straw. So Gemma and I lived near a rugby team. Gemma and I <laughs> lived near a um, yeah. It was brutally difficult. So I, I would say yeah. we lived we lived near a place called the Noble Dove, which was on mm. Richmond High Street. So that sounds like a pub. Uh, no, it was a laundrette right. um, run by a uh, Vietnamese family. Right. And uh, and they were great. I'd lug this. I mean, this thing, if it'd been raining on the weekend, I would say rugby heavy. It was <laughs> absolutely, I would actually just drag it in yeah. and she'd say, oh, hello, Mr. Mullins, leave it there. And then I'd go back on Thursday. And they were beautifully uh, spotless. Absolutely pristine. Oh, absolutely pristine. Ironed? 30... Yeah, I think they were ironed. I can't really remember. You come, leave it in the kit bag. Come back mm. in the kit bag. Um, Thirty-five quid, and she occasionally she'd give me things that had been left in there by that I didn't notice. Such as well, such as things that people leave in rugby kit bags. Well, I'd, uh, stuff, things, well, just other things, stuff. <laughs> sometimes she would smile. Sometimes she would be very I'm disgusted. Sure. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Just things, you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so page 96. Who wants to know what Kev used to find in the book? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Page 96, 97. Yes. Look Moving at this. On. All of these laundrettes. Look at the colour. They all seem to be, they remind me a little bit of Irish pubs. Uh, you know, very colourful greens, yellows, blues. Uh, you know, the laundrette, typically called the laundrette. Uh, I love it. I think it's a great book. Laundia Smalls. Cool. Laundia Smalls. Some more. There's some very artistic ones. Yeah, in I was going to well, say there are some artistic shadow ones. Shadow play and. But it doesn't need to be artistic, does it? Just just the fact that somebody has the uh, you know the foresight to go around all these places. Yeah. He's taken a picture here of a of a washing machine that has no use. Been you know it's, it's out of order. Above it, it says a three pound, uh, three times one pound coins plus mm-hmm. two times twenty pences. It's very complicated to use these things. 
and then five big yellow buttons one hot wash two warm wash three synthetics four wash and wear five cold wash <laughs> what would you put in a cold wash um jumpers is it money <laughs> no use anyway it says on that one um on yeah just the buttons and and the, the, have the hoxton layout have, have hoxton ever done a book about arcades because i could see this being a uh i'm not sure actually yeah. but i wouldn't be surprised yeah. so anyway this is hoxton mini presses yep laundrama london's laundrette joshua blackburn available on how on their much, website how much are Amazon they? And as, things as like individual that. books uh well on the back this one says 14 pound 95 okay all right 19 dollars 95 but you can buy games. sets of them as well yeah so so if you do if you are interested in the hoxton mini press stuff yep. Um, and of course, we're, you know, we're not, we've got nothing to do with them. But right. if you find a book that you want, it is worth going to their website first because they do collections and, and various other things that might end up being a bit cheaper. Also, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, good, good book. So, uh, so the the laundrette this, this week, and that's it for what was a very packed show today. Um, if you've liked this or any of the week's shows, of course, thank you. And if you can. And you feel it's relevant? We'd love you to leave a review. We read every single one. We we haven't really been mentioning the reviews of late, have we? But no, uh, there's a reason for that. Well, we haven't been, yeah, we haven't been getting so many, but uh, but we were apart from the one. Yeah. Did you see the one? No, the one? no, not a bad one, was it? No, it was a good one. It says uh, it's titled "The Photography Daily Is Better." No. Yeah. Yeah. Sam left that one. <laughs> <laughs> no. It, it was a five-star review. It said, "I used to listen to the Fujicast. It was very good, and I still listen on occasion. But the photography daily is much better." Oh, <laughs> but then, uh, on the flip side, um, uh, I don't think we've read this question out yet. But there's, there's a couple of questions where people have said, "I've, I've recently come across to the Fujicast because Neil mentions it on Photography Daily." <laughs> so there we go. You win some, you lose some. Indeed, don't you in life? Indeed. Um, if you'd like to send us a question as well, please do click at fujicast.co.uk or you can send through the website contact page um, and of course remember Kev threatened last threatened he did so he did to uh, remove the website if, if you don't start looking at the thing so uh, of course we put all the uh, the notes from um, which you do spend quite a bit of time doing actually I do yeah yeah the videos week. and things like that that I can find that are relevant um, yeah. the more people the, the higher that number goes the more time I'll spend on it really yes there's a challenge yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, thank you to those who are supporting the show by Patreon. If you can do it, fantastic. For those who feel it's appropriate, of course, not just for us, but for your pocket too. But the donations will help this show stay here as an ongoing project. Music in the show from Blue Wednesday, supporting music from the incredible artlist.io. And um, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.